Are you under a lot of stress right now? Pastor Ed Taylor with a word of encouragement for you. It's important that you not put too much pressure on yourself when you, when you find that you're under stress. I would say that you and I need to be very careful to remember you're just a man and you're just a woman. You're just a normal person. You have emotions, right? You guys have emotions? <laughs> Some of you have different primary emotions, but you have. We're emotional. We're fragile. We have issues at times with our ego and with what people think about us, with where we think we are in life, where we think we should be. Don't be too hard on yourself over your weaknesses and your failures. This is amazing grace. Imagine having someone hot on your heels trying to kill you, and they have a great deal of power and backing, too. Well, that's the place we find David, the future king of Israel, today on Abounding Grace. Talk about a stressful experience. And though our situations in life might not reach that level, we still experience pressure and stress. Pastor Ed Taylor has some words of wisdom from 1 Samuel 20 to share with us today that we can apply to those stressful periods of life. 1 Samuel chapter 20, studying through verse by verse, some of my most favorite section of the scripture after studying the direct life of Jesus is studying the life of David. And I remember the very first time I studied through 1 and 2 Samuel with Pastor Chuck, uh, as we've all studied through the Bible, uh, all the way through from Genesis to Revelation with Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. It's part of our training part of our development over the years, and I still listen almost weekly to Pastor Chuck. Um, I get this sense of, of a grandfather speaking forth the Word of God into my life, and it brings back many fond memories. We, we have those MP3s, by the way, downstairs. Uh, they're available in the bookstore, and I'd encourage you, uh, if that's all the time you have, is just to go through the Bible with Pastor Chuck. It's a very powerful time. And I remember the first time I began studying, I remember thinking, is this really in the Bible? It was, I hadn't read the Bible straight through before as a new believer. And, and even, if, even as I was reading through the Bible, just reading through it, I wasn't pausing enough to let the Bible soak in. And then I started, back then we had, back then we had the tape lending library uh, at the church that I attended, Calvary Chapel Downey. And we were able to get five tapes and we could borrow five tapes for a week. And then we had to bring them back and then say, here are my five tapes. Can I get five more? And I was just soaking in verse by verse uh, the word of God. And, and I remember, and I still have some of the original notes from those times. It's just a sweet thing uh, as David becomes that type of Christ in so many ways. And in other ways, he's not a type of Christ. And I would say in this season of his life, we see a lot of things that we didn't see in Jesus. We see the humanity of David. And I think you would agree that life on the run isn't easy. Even if you've never had a life on the run, life on the run is not easy. Many today are living life running away. Running away from God, 
running away from their problems, running away from their past, some running away from the church, running away from leadership, running away from submission, running away from commitment. It's not God's intention for you to live life on the run. Or I should say running away from God. That's not his heart for you. He doesn't desire for us to spend all of our energy and effort trying to avoid what God's desire is for our lives. I would say that it is God's desire for us to run in the right direction. You can jot these down. Let me read them to you. Some of the verses I found when it relates to running. For example, in Psalm 119, verse 32, it says, I will run in the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Or in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it says, do you, not those, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may have obtain it. I mean, run in the ways of the Lord. Run in the commandments of the Lord. Run in the strength of the Lord. So that one day we'll be able to say, like Paul did to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I finished well. I've kept the faith. We're following David now on the run. Running away from King Saul. Not from God. Although along the way, as he's running away, he makes some mistakes. Pick up with me now in verse 1 of chapter 20. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? Is it not so? Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. In fleeing from the city of Naoth, David meets up with Jonathan seeking answers for the increasing craziness of Jonathan's dad. Oh, David, Jonathan said, it's not that bad because I know my dad and and my dad would tell me if he was going to do anything. And yet David speaks with wisdom and says, no, 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 you, you you either don't see it, Jonathan, or you don't want to see it that things are far worse than they seem. It was so bad that David had this sense of the presence of death in his life. And he says, and I don't think he's being dramatic, where he says in verse 3, there is a step but between me and death. He recognizes how serious it is. He lived, you could say, with the reality that death was near. He felt it. It was close, just a step away. Now, I have to say that most of us, most of the time, Don't live with a true consciousness that the life and death are in the hands of the Lord. That it's his timing for your life and it's his timing for your death and mine. We don't always have a sensitivity to the consciousness that we all live just a step away from death. (laughs) This is true in a sense for all of us listening in today. That we are, our life is in the hands of God. Instead, we generally live with the thought that there will always be tomorrow. Ah, there will always be tomorrow. 
We, we even get a sense, especially those of you that are a little younger, that we're immortal. Like nothing can touch us. And there's a little bit more risk and, and a little bit more, you know, stepping out in craziness when you're younger. When you get older, not only do you hurt more, but you're just like, nah, I don't think so. I, I don't know. That, it, that, that challenge doesn't, I, I just sense that, well, you know, I don't know. You could call it fear. You could call it wisdom. Uh, I call it just wisdom. I would call it wisdom. It's like, I don't think I want to get involved in those things anymore. The truth is we just have today. The truth is there's an urgency in this world. The truth is, is that whatever we do, we need to learn how to do it under the Lord. The truth is, as James tells us, says, whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow, you don't know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even just a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. I think it's important for us to live with a consciousness of life and death. To recognize that our days are in the hands of the Lord. That that he has determined our days in the pre-appointed times of our, and and the habitation, the boundaries of our habitation, Paul would write and talk to, tell us in the book of Acts. That as, as we live, according to the psalmist, that the days have been fashioned for us. And we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Yet I have to say this. The real motivation for serving the Lord isn't fear-based. So so you don't take this knowledge and go, well, you know, if I'm not going to be here tomorrow, then I better start serving the Lord because I don't know when I'm going to die. No, the real motivation for serving the Lord isn't a fear of dying. It's the joy of eternal life. It's the joy of living. It's the joy of God giving us life today. It's his love that moves us. It's the love of God and his redeeming power, his tremendous, overwhelming abundance of grace in our life that presses me and moves me and stirs me to serve him today. I mean, we're not looking to die. We're looking for the soon return of Jesus Christ. We're looking to be translated, to be taken up in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know when that's going to happen, and I neither do I know the day of my death, but I'll tell you this. I do know that I'm alive today, and God deserves my best today, right now. He deserves my all. It's the realization that he could come at any moment that keeps us growing in grace and serving in God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, that everyone who has this hope purifies himself, this hope of his return, just as he is pure. How exciting. Jesus is coming again. I don't know when. It could be tonight. It could be tonight. There's one person that wants it to be tonight. It could be tonight. Yeah, I hope it could be tonight. It could be even before we finish this Bible study. Now I know I'll get an amen on that. You're like, oh yeah, finish now. I mean, it could be tonight. The coming of the Lord is at hand, but the world wants to rock you to sleep. The circumstances of life want to get our eyes off him. The, the situations that, you know, we'll always have tomorrow. We'll always have tomorrow. One day you won't have tomorrow. I don't know what day that is. But one day, tomorrow's will be gone. And while you've been waiting for tomorrow, so will all your todays. Guys, I know that David really does see the reality of life and death in his life in a very dramatic, strong way. While he himself is not being dramatic, he recognizes the reality of the circumstance. He sees death very closely ahead. Just a step, he says, And we learn from that it's a wise way to live with eternity in mind. It's a wise way to live for the coming of the Lord. 
Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 13, he said he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 minas, and he said to them, do business till I come. And David, recognizing the, the fragility of life, is living with eternity in mind. And he tells Jonathan in verse 4, Jonathan tells David, whatever you, des- you yourself desire, I'll do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. And if he says, thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is angry, then he'll be sure evil is determined by him. Now, as a member of King Saul's court, it makes sense that David would be expected to be at the feast of the new moon. But David isn't going. And if Saul's response to this will reveal a lot. It will, really, David's pretty confident. He knows what the response will be. And it's not so much for David as it is for Jonathan. The recognition of, the confirmation of what David already knows to be true. Verse eight. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant for you have brought your servant into covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there's iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? Jonathan said, far be it from you, for I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you. Then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me? And what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come and let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. As this scenario continues, the pressure and the stress and the difficulties begin to grow upon David. And while he is a man after God's own heart, he's still just a man. You can see a little tension in his friendship. Because when there's stress and pressure, the first people to feel it are the people that are closest to you. The people that you spend the most time with. And even in this difficult situation, they're they're speaking honesty with one another. But you're going to find a rise and an increase of the pressure and stress upon a man. And might I just say that it's important that you not put too much pressure on yourself when you, when you find that you're under stress. I would, I would say that you and I need to be very careful to remember you're just a man and you're just a woman. You're just a normal person. You have emotions, right? You guys have emotions? <laughs> Some of you have different primary emotions, but you have. We're emotional. We're fragile. We have issues at times with our ego and with what people think about us, with where we think we are in life, where we think we should be. Don't be too hard on yourself over your weaknesses and your failures. Obviously, if there are sin issues, you don't need to be hard on yourself with sin issues either. Just repent. Be broken before the Lord. Don't define it as, well, I'm struggling and I'll just never get out of it. No, surrender it to the Lord and God will deliver you. We're going to learn very quickly. Jesus is going to say words of intense, uh, intense freedom when he says, when the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. We're not there yet. We will be soon. You can read ahead in the Gospel of John if you'd like. Life-giving words. Speaking life into very death-filled situations. You don't have to define yourself by your struggles. You can define yourself by the God who overcame your struggles, who died for your forgiveness of your sins. But you know how it is. Some of you are really good at beating yourself up. You don't need anybody beating you up. You're really good at it yourself. You and I being human are beset by weaknesses, by 
Well, if you have a weakness in your life, I would like to welcome you to the club. The club of normalcy. And our failures can often lead. It's, pride is a nasty thing. Because on one end of the, most of the time when I mention pride to you, you automatically think of the most common form of pride, and that is thinking too highly of yourself. But you know the pendulum swings of pride? That sin of pride swings all the way to the other end, and there's also another type of pride of thinking too lowly of yourself. It's a false, another way of the Bible describes it as false humility. And you and I, we want to find ourselves not in the pride of thinking too much of ourselves or in the pride of thinking too less of ourselves, but instead of that simple humility before the Lord of thinking of us exactly like God thinks of us, how he defines us. And he recognizes, according to Psalm 103, that we're just dust. That's not, a, that's not a statement putting you down. That's not a statement of putting you in your place. It's simply a statement of fact. We're but dust. We're in the process of growing. God is doing a work in our lives. He is working in us to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. And none of us have arrived. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. So don't condemn yourself. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That's good news. That's great news for us. Because the battle gets so heavy, the spiritual war is difficult, and that comes with our besetted failures and weaknesses, guilt and shame, which can easily turn into the heaviness of condemnation. But the Bible says there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for you and me. Your past sins are forgiven. Your present sins are forgiven. Your future sins are forgiven. The Bible teaches us that there is no condemnation. If you were to look that word up in the Greek, it means no, zero, zippo, whatever you want to say. Salvation is a whole package. All of you is saved. You are kept by the power of God. You're identified by the finished work of Jesus Christ. You're going to have weaknesses. You're going to be human. And too many of you are living under the sense of condemnation, which leads to a false pride, a false humility, which is a form of pride. You know you've done something wrong, and instead of taking the right path, just humbling yourself and repenting before the Lord in godly sorrow, you take the burden of yourself, and then you begin your, beat yourself up. And, you know, the idea that the world goes, you know, you won't be able to forgive anyone before you forgive yourself. That's all backwards. You won't be able to, to extend forgiveness until you receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And receiving the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you will then release yourself from the debts that Jesus Christ paid to forgive in your life. It's not about you forgiving yourself. It's about you submitting to the one that forgave you. He will do the work in your life. David's human here. You're going to see a lot of humanity in him. You go, but God, did God use him? Yeah. Yeah, God used him, even with all of his weaknesses. The thing that I believe that God is pulling out for us is the ugliness of pressure and stress. I'm not going to ask for a, a raise of hands, but I'm gonna, I, I know that the, the, the flags would start waving in here if I, when I asked this question. How many of you experienced a stress-filled, pressure-filled day today? Of course. And some of you are under intense pressure right now. It hasn't let up. It's not letting up right now. Some of you are in the mode, and, and I... I'm with you, man. I understand this. Where you're just like, when's it going to end? I mean, I, I, can't, I, don't, I can't even believe this is... I mean, I mean, and it's almost like you're like Job. You're like, think God forgot you. God didn't forget about you. But that does, just because pressure is increasing doesn't mean God has abandoned you. 
doesn't mean God is using that pressure to draw you to himself. And don't you wish that life was without pressure, but it's not. Stress will, will eat you up on the inside, but it also mess with your head. Stress will lead to suspicion. Pressure will lead often to paranoia. There's a lot of focus on how King Saul's getting paranoid, but you know, David has his paranoid moments too. You had somebody chasing you that was crazy with spears. You'd feel the same way running through the wilderness of the southern part of Israel. It's, it's not easy. When you're under deep stress and pressure, be careful with the reality of your own emotions. Be honest. Commit them to the Lord. The Bible says to be careful with vain imaginations. Don't entertain them. Admit that you're an emotional wreck. Everybody else admits it. Why don't you? Say, man, that brother needs some prayer. Well, pray. That sister's really going over. Yes, I know. It's hard. Their life is hard. Pray for them. They don't need you to point their finger. They know they're messed up. They know they're hurting. They know they're fearful. I mean, there's probably things in their life that you don't even know about. You just see the outward. Pray. That's seek God. And even when you, the, you know, this thing with Jonathan and David, I mean, that's a great friendship. And they even had a little argument here. They even went through it. And there's a little bit, wait a minute, David, you know, even that question, Jonathan, whose side are you on? I mean, they had a great friendship, but it was under stress as well. Can I give you a piece of advice? Well, even if you said no, you're going to have to hear it anyway. <laughs> when you're under great stress and pressure, when you're under great, you might want to jot this down. I don't see anybody getting a pen out or anything. You might want to jot this down, write it on your hand, type it out really fast on your iPad. It'll save your, you, I will save you, I will save you a lot of grief and heartache in life if you can pray through this and what it, how it gets applied in your life. But when you're under great stress and when you're under great pressure, don't make big decisions. Profound, but true. Don't make big decisions under pressure and stress. Wait for the Lord to give you direction. Thanks, Pastor Ed. This is Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. Ed, as you closed, you suggested that we avoid making big decisions when we're under stress. Can you think of an example or two that might be relatable to our listeners? I just thought of an example. In California, I was really upset. Uh, I was upset with some of the decisions that were being made at the church I attended, Calvary Chapel Downey. And my conclusion was, uh, being all upset and such, I'm going to another church. And we're just, I was just going to uproot my little family and move on because I was mad. Uh, and I didn't even have the whole story. And so I decided, I, this is it, I'm done. I was going to step down from the things I was doing and move on to another church that would certainly not have the problems that this church had. And then I, but, but fortunately, I went through a pastor before any decision was made and done. It was made, but it wasn't done. And the pastor looked at me through a series of questions and said, you know, Ed, have you heard from the Lord? Yeah, I've heard. And, and he started going through all these things, and, and eventually it was like, you know, Ed, just wait. Just wait it out. Trust God through this. God is bigger than your pastor. God's bigger than the situation, on and on. And, and you know what happened? As I waited, God spoke to me. I never left that church until God called me out here to Colorado. And I'm glad that I didn't because I wanted to be a, a support to my pastor. I wanted to be a blessing to that church. And leaving would not have solved the problem. You know why? Because the problem was inside of me. And if I would have left, I would have taken the problem with me. So praise God for good counsel. So there you go.
Thanks again, Ed. And friend, this may be a message you'd like to hear in its entirety, especially if you're under a great deal of stress right now. Request a CD copy for just $2 by calling 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org and do a search for The Rock That Shows the Way. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing verse-by-verse Bible teaching to your station every day. And we look to our listeners to help us with that. Today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'll send you the book, Out of a Far Country, by Christopher and Angela Yuan. Christopher is the son of Chinese immigrants, and at an early age felt different and was attracted to boys. His mother tried to control the situation, but found her life and her son's life were spiraling out of control. After years of heartbreak and prayer, the Yuans found a place of complete surrender. Read this amazing story of grace and hope in Out of a Far Country. Call 877-30-GRACE so we can get that right out to you. Or donate online at calvaryaurora.org. And let me also give you our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 1 Samuel. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor is presented by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.